Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast, which will probably have at least 50% less air horns this week than it did last week, unfortunately, because the air horn plays, I have to admit. I have to admit it, 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 it's it's a good it's a good thing for us. So, I am Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince, and we're going to get right into the DC Comics released this week. These are the comics released on February 8th, 2017. If you haven't read them yet, take a break, go read them, come back. We'll wait for you. We promise. And um, we're going to get started with Justice League of America, number one, in just a second. But first, just be warned, we are going to talk about uh, what happened in these comics. So if you want to be spoiled, you know, I guess go ahead. If not, as I said before, stop, read the comics, because we're going to talk about lots and lots of spoilery things. So, boys, we have the debut of Justice League of America, Rebirth, number one, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. Um, I think we were all pretty excited about this book when it was announced, I think we were all pretty excited about this book as of when we picked it up. How Are we still excited now? Do we enjoy it? What do we feel? Um, Zach, why don't we start with you? Okay. Um, so this is the first, correct me, I may be wrong, but I think this is the first Rebirth issue since, you know, the first, like, batch of Rebirth happened. Is that right? Technically, all Techn- of the JLA. Count, and I, yeah, I, I, didn't, I don't really want to count those because those are, like, one shots. Okay, yeah. But, but yeah, besides those, this is like the first one. The first one since September, yes. Right, right. And so we were kind of wondering, you know, is this kind of is this going to maybe buck the trend of the other rebirth issues? And it kind of didn't. It was still sort of you know the get the team together setup issue, but I still really liked it. And at least it didn't really repeat the stuff that we already saw before or knew. You know, right. part of the problem with those rebirth issues were like, especially the Superman ones, a lot of it was like, well, if if you read um, Super League, you got most of this already, right? Right. Um, yeah, this was this was really good. Uh, Steve Orlando, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he just uh, like. Okay, yeah, it's a it's a get the team together issue. I guess that's something in comics that like you just you you either like it or you don't, but you're gonna need to deal with it when there's a team book that comes along. But like, think about all the times in this issue where he's kind of giving the fans what they want, you know, like the badass Lobo moment, which actually was a callback, I think, to um where Batman tells him to sit down. That was a callback to something. Wasn't yeah, it? our our pal Greg Matasevich pointed that out on Twitter that that was a callback to something. Yeah, and um just giving every character their moment to shine and um Yeah, I'm really excited about this book. This is you know, last week I think all three of us talked about how bored we were with the regular Justice League team. This is going to be um, unconventional in ways that 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 generic team just can't be. I think we're already seeing that. Um, yeah. yeah, I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, so did I. I. I thought that it did a good job of bringing the team together with with a purpose and with a little bit of some 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 surprises in there. You know, like I like the idea that Batman has tried to get Vixen on a team before, and that she said, you know. 
She said no in the past. I like the idea that he was going for Ray Palmer and Ray Palmer wasn't there. And so that's why Ryan Choig is on the team. You know, it just felt like there were a lot of little decisions that ultimately won't change the ongoing story all that much, but just set up a really nice introduction to the team. Yeah. And I love that there's not a lot of hemming and hawing either. Like every, you know, everybody, for the most part, everybody's just kind of like, yeah, I'll join your team. Okay. (laughs) Right. Let's do this. You know, everybody's interested at least to say yes, you know, to the meeting or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like Lobo is definitely the character who has the most potential to drive me crazy. But I also think that Lobo added such energy to this issue and really changed the tone. If you try and imagine this comic without Lobo, it's almost it's a completely different comic. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think he actually might be my favorite uh my favorite part of the issue. Maybe my favorite character on the team, maybe. I don't know. I'm with you there, Zach, and I would have never said that in a million years. That's, yeah, I know. That seems ridiculous to me that I'm saying that. But... Love Lobo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also did something I really like, which was the last page of the issue. He being Steve Orlando, by the way. Um, putting like four little teasers mm-hmm. for things that are coming up in the book. I love when comics do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's they, comic books, baby. They just call it like DC three nip or something like catnip, you know? <laughs> because I think all three of us really enjoy that. I and, smell a hashtag right there. <laughs> DC three nip. nip. <laughs> Would if, this be a DC three nip slip then? I was just gonna say it's gonna end up just being pictures of the three of us and our nipples. <laughs> I don't need that on the internet. Um. But yeah, so um, I actually did want to talk about the four teasers that we have so far. The first one we see the Ray essentially impaling Lobo with a, with some of his light. Mm-hmm. We see somebody who I'm going to guess is Mr. Oz, uh, just because of the robe, talking to Killer Frost and saying that her life hangs on an impossible choice. Then we see Batman holding a shield that says Liberty on it. And someone is saying to him, the last person to face me with that shield died holding it. And then we see Ryan Choi in what appears to be somebody's blood or somebody's body. And he encounters somebody he thinks is Ray Palmer, but who is dressed in a... Uh, I, don't, I don't even know how you describe the costume he's wearing. Yeah, I don't either. It's, it's really assa- cool, though. It's an Assassin's Creed uh, crossover. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's something out of a D&D yeah. campaign. It, it almost looks like Rustum. A little bit, yeah. But I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't think so either. Rustin wearing the two belts, like a WWE championship belt yeah. and a belt on top of it. Yeah. What if what if Ray Palmer is uh an assassin from Assassin's Creed now and then that would suck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um I, I really think that first panel is just like a training. Like I I, I wanna say that that's just like Lobo trying to help the new heroes train. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a misdirect, it's like as if he were turning on the team, but, but, but maybe not, who knows? And then I didn't think of Mr. Oz for that second one just because of the chains. What's the significance of the chain that you see 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be Mr. Oz. We haven't really seen um, him in all his glory yet either. <laughs> but uh, And then does anyone have any idea about the Liberty Shield? Um, well, who is – okay, so is that – is that a reflection in the middle of it, or is that face part of the shield? I think that face is part of the shield, and it kind of looks like Liberty Bell, the JSA character. Uh, let's see. Interesting. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a huge. It's not. It doesn't look just like her, but yeah. I think I think if I didn't see the word Liberty, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, I do love when they do stuff like this. I will. Uh, I, I think I have a reputation on this podcast of being anti Ivan Reyes. I, I don't know how that really started, <laughs> um, but I will say this: I, I think he did a nice job with this issue. But to me, he is—he's an odd match for this team. I feel like the whole point of this team is that they're like almost the street level Justice League. You know, they're with the exception of Lobo, nobody has, no one's an alien, no one, you know, everyone's powers are, are sort of, I don't want to say they're limited, but there's no like super, there's no Martian Manhunter or Superman on this team, right? And I feel like Reyes is better at drawing those big bombastic scenes. I don't know if this book's going to have too many of those. This is the new Ivan Reyes. This is the post-Tom King Batman Ivan Reyes. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Don't box him in. Yeah, I think... I, I know what you're saying, Brian. Um, but I think I still don't know what kind of team... And this is a good thing. I don't mean this as like a, a, a in the pejorative, but I don't know what kind of team this is going to be yet, and I kind of like that. Like... A lot of, the JLA. That, oh, go ahead. No, 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 please go. The JLA has been used for a lot of different purposes, and most recently they were kind of like semi-government stooges, right? Right. Well, th this team has been set up ostensibly to be like Batman's sort of um, rescue project or reclamation project or something, but we really don't know what for what reason he's he's building this team yet and we don't know what you know we don't we don't really know what makes them suited for this task yet and that's kind of exciting and so I'm willing to let things play out to see how well suited the art is for this book I I think on its own the art looks really handsome you know yeah. but I understand what you're saying um I am excited that Andy McDonald is doing the second arc Because I thought his stuff on the Adam one shot was great. Yeah, Ivan draws a draws a great chin. He, he, Batman <laughs> has such a powerful chin in in this. Yeah, I can and, see that. And of course, Lobo's uh, rivals it. So. Yeah, I, I like Lobo's facial hair here. Yeah. All right. So, anything else to add about this issue? It was as good as I hoped for, probably even a little better. Yeah, we had talked about um, this book in such like revered ter terms before it <laughs> even happened that it's nice that it didn't let us down. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, since it's the first issue, let's bring it back, boys. Um, on the uh, pull pirate or pulp scale, are we are all three of us pulling this? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. That's the pull. That's the pull alarm. That's the pull alarm from now on. Okay, I like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, that brings us to Action Comics number nine hundred seventy-three, written by Dan Jurgens or Jan uh, Jan Durgens, if <laughs> Jan you will. Jan Durgens forever. Um, illustrated by Patrick Zercher and Stephen Segovia. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get into more Clark Kent business in a little while. We really but have to. We are, but this this book, guys, is not good. Oh, that is a statement that is perhaps underselling it. What the fuck is happening here, guys? I'll tell uh... you what. I'll tell you what's not happening. The cover of this comic promises the secret identity of Clark Kent. And I feel like that's the first time a cover or the second time that a cover has said that. And neither time did we actually get the secret identity of Clark Kent. <laughs> he's he's trolling us at this point, right? Like he knows we couldn't possibly give a shit anymore about this. I give a shit in in the sense that I just want it to be over. Yeah, right. <laughs> so every time it says they're going to get the secret origin, I'm like, "Oh, thank goodness." We can we can put this to bed. This is the spider. This is this is like the Spider-Man clone saga all over again. When we're like, they pro or or no, you know what this is? What are are you guys familiar with the Hobgoblin saga of Amazing Spider-Man? In theory, but refresh us. Okay, so at one point the Hobgoblin appeared, and it was a mysterious. It was a person with a mysterious identity dressing as the hobgoblin and they literally strung out the identity of the hobgoblin for like a year and a half before they revealed it to be, I don't even remember because it wasn't very good, <laughs> but like that was notoriously strung along for no payoff and nobody, by the end, nobody was interested. And every month there'd be like a tease, like, Ooh, this is the issue that we're finally going to reveal the identity of the Hobgoblin, and then it didn't happen. <laughs> That's this. Yeah, it's that not is. Good. It wasn't good then, and it's not good now. Um. Oh God. I got a little bit of hope because we got we got a Steel and Superwoman appearance here, and uh, I like those guys, and we got um, the Metropolis Sci uh, Special Crimes Unit. I like those guys too. I mean, this still feels like Superwoman light with yeah. added extra Clark Kent. Yeah. Uh, yep. We got to see oh, fake Clark Kent almost totally blow a sting operation, and then slip on some beer like he's a uh, like he's in a, a Daffy Duck cartoon or something. <laughs> despicable. Exactly. Uh, this comic is despicable, so that, that makes that's, that's a nice uh, that's a nice reference there. Um, I liked when that asshole's Segway set on fire or hoverboard or whatever you call that. Oh my goodness! What? It was just what an unnecessary. <laughs> God. Yeah. So the but to, to me by far the worst scene in this it, it it's the scene of Clark Kent walking home and Lois following him. Okay. Let's just go through all the stupid shit that happens here. 
So he goes into a Big Belly Burger, which, by the way, ever since Big Belly Burger came to Arrow and the Flash, it's now the only restaurant, like, contractually you can show in a DC comic. Like, people are going to be out for a fancy dinner in Batman. Bat Bruce... Burger. Oh, Bat... oh, sorry, I forgot, forgot Bat Burger. Okay, well, it's only burger joints. For us. So he goes there, and he orders, uh, you know, uh, two chocolate shakes, four apple pies, and a drizzle doodle. Which I I thought was a was a sex act banned in most states, but I don't know what I don't know what he was ordering at the Big Belly Burger, and then I what, I thought what you could only get that at the Action Comics Chinese restaurant. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the uh, egg roll gate, you mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> but so anyway, but so the, the the fucking clerk at the big at the Big Belly Burger. Uh, <laughs> Asks if he has women trouble because he's ordering all these chocolate milkshakes, which is just like some sort of weird reverse sexism going on there. But anyway, then Clark, you know, goes into his apartment building, and Lois goes and talks to the uh, the doorman, and this is like the most cliched comic, like, "Lady, I've been here all night. No one's entered in the last half hour. See for yourself. No can't know anybody. Come to think of it." Can't remember the last time I saw him. <laughs> Weeks, maybe? Months? Like, it's just so overdone. If he just said no one's come in here, we get the exact same point. Done. But Jurgens has to add, like, four lines of impossibly cliched dialogue on top of that. Oh. Fuck, this is a bad book. Uh, yeah. Um... So, I think it's kind of weird how uh, Clark Kent is going to end up cucking Clark Kent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. How do I explain this to my husband? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. They're gonna they're gonna recreate the scene from uh, Watchmen with the multiple Doctor Manhattan's. Oh, you're oh right. gosh. This might be this might be unlocking a greater secret to the Watchmen. Like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna menage with the two Clarks and uh, and 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 that'll lead to the but that's the button lead in. Uh, well, button. The button. Sometimes comics are bad. Yeah. <laughs> this comic uh, is very bad. This felt like this is such a waste. This this issue felt like a waste. Yeah, it did. So uh, we had a, a gentleman who is, by the way, who is currently serving our country overseas. Uh, so thank you for your service, sir. Uh, reach out to us about this second Clark Kent and saying, can can we just kind of explain this? And honestly, we can't because we don't know what's going on here. Um, you know, he showed up. So essentially in the timeline of things at the end of the new 52 when new 52 superman died you know know, a little bit of his power was transferred to keenan kong a little bit of his power was transferred to lana lang and lois lane and around the same time this guy showed up calling himself clark kent who looks like clark kent smells like clark kent you know um biologically is Clark Kent, but clearly is not really Clark Kent. And it's been a quasi-mystery who he is, a mystery that this comic has no business or interest in telling us. 
But I thought just to just to you know serve our listenership, we uh-huh. should we should maybe speculate over what we think is the deal with the the second Clark. Okay. And, and I just I just want to begin by saying I don't think the the, the reveal is going to be incredibly disappointing. Yes. He's gonna he's gonna be like some madman who's been stalking Lois and like uh did a bunch of like P90X to to buff himself up and like wore his hair the same way and I don't know like like it's going to be really bad whatever it is See I I thought it was going to be some like weird imposter too but then we see him walk into a building that no one's walked into So my my current theory is that when when Superman died and like all of his mojo got distributed that like he's like project he this is like a projection of Clark Kent of the dead Clark Kent who just like, doesn't who just doesn't have any of the powers but like it was not even a person he's like literally like an astral projection or something mm. has anybody ever touched him so maybe kind of like the ghost lois thing yeah, yeah exactly similar to the ghost lois thing from That'd be Superwoman, interesting, I guess. But handled so much worse. Yeah, I don't know. It is weird how much those two books seem to be tying into each other. Like, I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit more when we get to Superwoman um, later on. But there's just some, like, weird, weird parallels going on. Yeah. A lot of weird overlap. Yeah. And then uh, we had a, a gentleman comment on the multiversity.com multiversecomics.com post of uh i believe it was the episode actually two weeks ago talking about lex luthor and he said that there's an, an internet theory which the three of us had not heard yet that lex luthor is sorry that mr oz is the pre-flashpoint lex luthor and the and the, the the clue is that he has green eyes much like lex did and he's always kind of in shadow and all that and he said that he believed that the last appearance of that Lex Luthor was Lex being pulled into some sort of alternate dimension or something at the conclusion of the Lex-centric action comics run. And Zach, unlike Vincent myself, has a well-organized comic collection. So Zach said, oh, I have those issues. I'm going to go find them. So Zach actually pulled out that issue, and we can kind of find out the last thing to happen to, to Lex. So Zach, go ahead and share it. Okay, yeah, so um, some of you may remember in Paul Cornell and Pete Woods, I think was he was the artist most of the time, yeah, well, he their was. run on Action Comics towards the end of the pre-New 52 run. Um, it involved Lex um, kind of like in the aftermath of Blackest Night trying to find leftover Black Lantern rings to collect them to use the power to do something. It's been a long time since I've read it, but since I've read it, but um, in the end, he uh, at the end of the arc, he kind of becomes like a like a godlike cosmic being, and and a, and a lot of stuff happens. But he ends up losing his power, seemingly losing his memory, and then getting sucked into one of the kind of like little black holes that the that the black rings had been making. And that is, as far as I know, the last that we see of him. But it's interesting, the last line um, that kind of references him is a little is a little caption box. 
says an unseen by anyone a remnant of something in a universe new to it also seeks its way a remnant that may one day grow and it's just a it's just a little black ball with um with like a a symbol that was uh i think related that uh had been on like the 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 god lex's forehead so yeah i don't know it's perfectly seems it seems reasonable I was going to say, that seems as, as much of a good guess. I know we all think it's Ozymandias because of the Watchmen connection, but I think that that's as reasonable a guess as any I've heard. Well, and I actually like, I mean, <clears throat> now that now that we've explored that, I almost think, like, Ozymandias is too obvious at this point. And... When was the last time a comic, like, major event did a reveal that, like, didn't take a left turn and and subvert expectations? You know, I think DC's generally pretty good about twists in that fashion, you know? Yeah. Like, they they have to know everybody is thinking that that's, that that is a one of the original Watchmen characters, but... What if that character doesn't have anything to do with them at all? You know, I like I like that a lot more. Yeah, I do too. I hope. I, first of all, it, it, I'm sort of. I don't want to say I'm upset. That that gives the impression that I'm sad that a listener reached out about this. I'm not at all. But it would have been a crazy thing to reveal if we hadn't heard this at all. Yeah, come on, guys! Spoilers. <laughs> I don't mean that, well, though, fair a, listener. That's all right. Now it's going to be like Condiment King or something instead. <laughs> yeah. uh, Condiment King written by Tom King as working at the Bat Burger. <laughs> uh, uh, he just he stands there all day and you have to go and pump him for... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> for ketchup. <laughs> squeeze, squeeze me for ketchup. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that brings us to All-Star Batman, number seven. Still prohibitively expensive. Um, this issue, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Tula Lote and Francesco Francovia. Uh, so I, I actually texted Vince about this, because I was looking at the cover before I cracked it open, and I said, isn't this, what didn't last issue end on a cliffhanger? And he's like, yeah, this is part two. I think it's weird that a book that's like billing itself on creative teams telling Batman stories that they'd have a change of a creative team midway through a, a two issue arc. Well, no, this is a four issue arc. Oh, it's though. a four issue arc. Okay. Yeah. And each one has a different artist. It still seems a little weird to me. It's weird, but if it, you know, if it gets Tula Lote on an issue of Batman, I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, I think the art was pretty great. I love her. She's one of my favorite artists. Oh man. She's like, you know, halfway to Mike Allred, and just, oh, that's that's my shit right there. Yeah, yeah, I thought she did a really nice job with the issue. Um, what do you guys think of 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 the issue as a whole? I thought it was good. Um, I'm. Th- this is this is quite a strange Batman comic. It, it's really not like what Snyder had been doing before at all. 
and it's not like what Tom King is doing. It's just it's just so different. It's 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 weird. It's experimental at times. Um, Batman wears a pair of wax lips when he kisses Poison <laughs> he Ivy. Does. Just, Which I think is a Batman and Robin reference. It is. It totally is. Oh, man. He's nice miss- pull. He's just missing the nipples. <laughs> hey, chill out, Vince. <laughs> cool party. <laughs> what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. I can keep going. Uh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure our listeners would love that. <laughs> well, why wouldn't they? It's the best Batman movie. That is true. It was. It's probably the Batman movie that I've seen the most times. Oh, I've only seen it one time. I've probably seen it. There's no telling. I <laughs> I watched that movie on repeat when I was a kid. <laughs> it's probably second most. I've probably seen the original Michael Keaton, Tim Burton one the most and then probably batman and robin i I would say it goes batman 89 then batman forever Mm. batman 66 batman Batman and robin hey uh batman uh returns then all the nolan movies and then that one yeah i i yeah i don't know what it was i i guess at that age Cause I was like still pretty young when I mean I like. What year was that? Yeah. Was it like ninety six? That was ninety seven. So like I was in high school already, guys. When I, I was, was... Like, yeah. So like <laughs> when I was that like younger than that, the the Burton Batman movies like kind of uh, they didn't like scare me, but they like bothered me, you know. Which looking back, it does not make sense that Batman <laughs> and Robin didn't scare me because that movie's kind of terrifying but hey wilkerson I think of the future it. i loved it <laughs> yeah uh anyway uh no i i thought that the, the lote section of this was really good it does unfortunately fall into the scott snyder just making up science shit yeah uh, but I, I did category but i think that's just gonna be batman from now on yeah that's just what he does I'm okay with it now. I've made my peace. If we yeah. can ha- if we can handle shark repellent, we can handle all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh The backup is still really good. Yeah, yeah. I love the backup. Frank Avila's art looks great. Um I love that it's so Duke focused. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still don't think this book deserves being five bucks. I, yeah. You know, especially because it's, it's not really much oversized. You know, there, there's like, this had less pages in it than Detective Comics did this week. And Detective Comics was a buck cheaper. That's fair. Um, But yeah. I'm enjoying this arc, I think, more than I enjoyed the end of the last arc. Uh, Yeah, I agree. For sure. Yep. All right. Uh, that brings us to what has to be a Wilkerson book. Batgirl <laughs> and the Birds of Prey, number seven. You know me so well. Yeah. Written by the Bensons and illustrated by Ms. Rowe. And um, 
this entire issue, Zach, I'm, just, I'm, giving, I'm doing this for your benefit here, bud. You ready? It's it's about how Batgirl Barbara's realtors think there's a hidden treasure in Barbara's apartment, <laughs> and there's like an elaborate scheme put on to prove that they've been breaking in there, and then it turns out there is, and Barbara essentially ruins their retirement plans by taking it. I mean, she gives it to a charity, but like you know. She essentially destroys these people's lives. She tries to say at the end, like, hey, this would have been possible without my realtors. They're the best. And, like, hoping people would <laughs> give them business. But you can just see that married couple getting divorced after this because Barbara Gordon has just destroyed their lives. The man puts a gun in his mouth and blows his head off. And then the wife scrubs down the place and sells it. Uh, <laughs> and somebody was killed there. The whole thing is that they sell apartments and houses where super villainy went down because they can get them cheap and flip them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't good. Black Canary decides that it's okay instead of offering... Uh, Helena a bed to sleep on just offer her some dirty t-shirts to sleep on again that's not a joke that actually happens in the comic uh, I do like Claire Rowe has done this a couple of times in the book where when people are thinking of things like imagining something she draws a totally different style like a very childish style she does it a couple of times in this issue where um I want to say it's maybe Babs is like is is imagining something, and it looks very childish and fun. Oh, sorry, it's it's Helena. She's talking about um about what they should do to the uh, to the realtors, and it's like this very cartoony, very fun style. I like how Ro can switch up her style that way. But yeah. overall, this isn't a great, very good comic, and her talents are being wasted. Yeah, I I continue to really like her art, but this is a case where like. Like sometimes I can get over a mediocre story for good art, art, but I can't, I can't do that here. And I wish she was on something else, or, you know, I hope I'll follow her wherever she goes after this. But I, I hope it's better than this. Um, yeah, I, I guess the the one charming thing about this issue is that it ended with like a Valentine's Day um, sort of girls' night, which has no value from like a plot. Per- Excuse me, <laughs> from like a plot perspective or anything, but I do like how Rebirth continues to keep an eye on, uh, you know, little fun positive moments like that, and um, I like when I like when comics like line up with holidays that are kind of nearby, and I don't know, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> Let me just uh, piggyback off that for one second. The episode of Legends of Tomorrow that aired on Tuesday night a Christmas was a Christmas episode, and it was goddamn terrible. <laughs> it was the worst episode of that show ever, and that show has been frequently bad. Uh, well, Legion was quite good. Yeah, I, I'm excited to watch that. Uh, also, what we should oh, do... Oh, what? So- Marvel's doing something better in media than DC? 
<laughs> that is a shock. You're right. You're right. All right. Well, that brings us to Dead Man, Dark Mansion of Forbidden Love, number three, the final installment. Uh, Vince, do you have these creators in front of you for this? Yeah, I do. It's Sarah Vaughn's the writer, and Lamadina is the artist. Yeah. I, uh, I always mess up Medina. Isn't there, there's another Medina who's an artist as well. There's Paco Medina. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But anyway, this, um, this was a really good miniseries, guys. Yeah, this was really nice. Um, it, it had such a sweet ending too. Like kind of what they did with Boston in the end where he kind of, he wishes that other ghost goodbye, you know, and um, mm-hmm. you kind of get the sense that, like, like all throughout this, Boston has been written as like a very good soul. Yeah, you know, he's just he's just an inherently good. He's like a being of light that flies around and helps people, and and you get the sense that like this woman, like the whole point of this miniseries was to sort of bring peace to this house you know yeah or or whatever and uh and you get the sense that like he's he was like really invested in helping with that and that like now that this this ghost lady is free or whatever he's going to like maybe look out for her down the road or something he just he just seems like such a nice guy yeah agreed good ghost yeah he's a good ghost good ghost good ghost (laughs) Oh man, the art is so good. Yeah, some of this is like among the best art that I've seen in in a DC comic in a while. That I mean, that's really that's saying something. Yeah, for sure. I I don't know why DC seems to have a problem putting Dead Man. I I I can understand why he doesn't have an ongoing series of his own. Because it may not be a character that sells enough for that, but why isn't Dead Man on a Justice League team? Yeah, I don't know. I don't he know. got a huge. So he was he was in Brightest Day, right? Yep. And then he got a big push, like from Brightest Day to the New Fifty Two, and he got he got the opening story in DC Universe Presents. Yep. And after that, we've just kind of lost him. He was on. Unju- he was in Justice. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. in Justice League Dark for a bit. Um, Pretty much up through, well, I guess like, I don't know, that book just really fell off after. Um, uh, Jeff Lemire. Trinity Moore, the Forever Evil stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he was in that. I don't remember. But it just seems like, you know, not even on like Justice League Dark title. Why isn't he on the Justice League? Yeah, that's. That would be much, almost more interesting to me. Well, maybe uh, he will be eventually. Maybe. Yeah. Did didn't he make appear an appearance in the recruiting issue of JL uh, Justice not JLI um, Justice League International Yeah. United United. Oh. United. Oh, I I thought he was on like the big board, on the first issue of JLI. Well, well who maybe. was it? Maybe. It was it was a like, creeper and him and. Uh, Oh yeah. Hey, when are we gonna get a a, a Hanna Barbera reimagining of the Funky Phantom? <laughs> He'll be like a disco producer. 
with a cocaine <laughs> habit. Snorts coke. It's just going to be an extension of the canceled HBO show Vinyl. Yeah, oh, I hope so. <laughs> oh, man, I love hate watching that show. And I hate the term <laughs> hate watching. I really do. But that show was so bad, it was so much fun to watch it. Oh, uh, yeah. Just Bonnie anyway. Cannavale drowning in cocaine. Um, yeah, anything else to say about this issue? No, this was really nice. This is this is a good miniseries. I hope everybody checks it out. I hope they do a nice collection for it, but the individual issues themselves, since they were the, the um, sort of prestige format, yeah. um, those are really nice on their own. So... Um, yeah, I'm 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 kind of thrilled that that this was allowed to happen. Looks Agreed. like there is a trade coming out June sixth. Okay. Ah, oh, okay. So, if you can't get all the issues, pick yeah. up the trade. I see they still have no interest in being very timely with their. <laughs> no. I, to be fair. I don't think these are going to be hard to find in the intervening months. There's only three of them. It's probably true. Yeah. Um, it's a slightly better value to buy the trade. But. Well, that brings us to uh, Deathstroke number 12, uh, written by Christopher Priest, illustrated. We're back to having um, Larry Hama doing the breakdowns and Joe Bennett doing the pencils. Uh, this was the start of a new arc, and um, this is still a really fun comic, guys. Yeah, this was really good. Um, it was kind of, <laughs> I have to admit, it was kind of weird coming back to the normal sort of proceedings of this Deathstroke series after, like, the Titanic issue that was number 11. Yeah. Um, but that didn't make it a lesser comic. It was just like, oof. I guess we're I guess we're back to normalcy now, but uh, <laughs> but it was still quite good, and we got we got an appearance from Raptor. We did from Nightwing, and yeah, Zach, what did you think? I I actually really liked this. Um, kind of like you mentioned, I thought it was going to be weird jumping back into just like a normal issue of Deathstroke. It's like how how do you go back from that? But it was cool how it you know it it made use of that issue you know it, it mentioned it it um i don't know i just felt like this this issue was maybe a little less obtuse than previous issues have been at least i felt that way i, I felt agree. like it it juggled a lot of the plot threads in a really accessible but interesting way um and i just really like you know, kind of like the three main plots that are going on, the going on like the the Slade plotline, Joseph and um, Rose. I I like all of this. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a keen point that you made, Zach. That that this issue is more accessible. What it what it what I noticed that it did was it took like it mentioned it mentioned the Chicago incident. It, it mentions like seven or eight issues. Yeah, exactly. It mentioned like Superman showing up. It mentioned him being in Gotham, I think. And it 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 brought them all into context together uh to where I don't want to say you can put them together in like a timeline or anything, but you can see how they all make up the tapestry of this comic. Um 
if you've been struggling to follow the ball from issue to issue necessarily, you know, which I think we've done a pretty good job of keeping caught up with this, you know, but, but this issue really demonstrated how, even though there's all these disparate elements, Christopher Priest really has it all under one roof here. Yeah. I also really loved essentially um, Slade filing suit (laughs) about (laughs) making it impossible to prove the death joke because they will send the same person, Uh which is just a brilliant move. Just really, really fun. Definitely. And uh, for a character that was just introduced like a few months ago, Raptor's getting around the DC universe. Yeah, yeah, I love that he's he's in this arc. I think it's a great use of the character. Me too. Me too. All right, that brings us to Detective Comics number 950, the oversized anniversary special. This is right on the uh, cover there. This was um, written by James Tynan the Fourth, and there's three stories in it. Um, each one was illustrated by sort of one of the regular artists on Detective Comics. Um, Marcio Takarad is the first one. Um, Alvaro Martinez is the second, Eddie Barrows is the third. Uh, I, I guess it kind of makes sense to talk about these in isolation, but overall, I thought this issue showed why this is the best Batman comic out there. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, what a nice surprise. I didn't... See, I'm not really one to read the solicits, so I didn't really know this was coming. And... uh Man, what a nice surprise. All three of these stories. Do we do can we uh venture to pick favorites? Sure. I mean I, I think it's a little bit hard because the uh the orphan story takes up so much of the issue. That's true. That you you're sort of predisposed and that that's the best just because you get the most of it, but I really loved the ballet aspect of it. I thought it was a really fun way of taking Cass's character I haven't seen before. Um, but yeah, what was your favorite, Zach? I I really liked the the, the middle story just because those are aside aside from the way they they look. There's very little to interest me in in Azrael and and the Luke Fox Batwing, but this little story um, made me much more interested in them. And I thought it was cool to see a, a, a character of, of faith that wasn't, you know, necessarily like a stereotype. Yeah. yeah he is it. still kind of stereotypical a little <laughs> bit, but not, not as, not as bad. No, it was handled really well. I mean, there was nuance to the character, you know? Yeah. He, he recognized, like, look, I know not everybody believes this, but, like, for me, this is how I got to where I am. And Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, really well done. I, I, liked, I liked this whole thing all the way through. I mean, I think the cast story was my uh, favorite, but um, I was surprised at how engaged I was with that middle one, especially since... It's kind of talky. It's it's very. It's very, very much, talky, yeah. Yeah, it's very much. I mean, there's not much going on other than this philosophical discussion, and yet, I think it was handled really well, uh, and and really gave a little depth 
to all these characters that so often in team books, you know, you have a team of five, six, seven people and two or three of them get shafted. And uh, this really helps avoid that. For sure. Yeah, I was um, I was thinking how smart this was. I mean, I, one of the things I think about Tynan's uh, detective in general is just how it, how well paced it is, and how everything just kind of unfolds at the right time, and how both Azriel and Luke Fox have been a part of this team for you know a relatively short span of time here, and so when we see them in this issue, I think everybody's reaction was the same, like oh yeah, they're part of the team. But each story kind of uses them well, and even that last story, which is the shortest story of the bunch, and really isn't, it is just more asking a question than it is answering anything, but each of the stories kind of includes those two characters and shows how they are going to be important going forward, even though in the last one, I don't think either character is mentioned by name, Especially because, you know, Luke wasn't part of the team yet. But just the idea that Batman is preparing for a war. And how each of these characters presents a different sort of uh, use in that war. I, I just think it was a great way to make those two characters stop feeling like they were just ancillary parts of the team. And gave them actual responsibilities. Uh, and an actual purpose on the team. I really love this issue. Everything about it, I really loved. I know, yeah. This is this like really is like the premier Batman book right now. Just in terms of like quality and really, really in like terms of scope too. Like this feels like a big book. It's weird because this feels like a big book, but it's also doing the most character growth. Like you would think, yeah. usually the books that are that are sort of the most character based are pair it up like you know for years detective comics was exactly what the name implies it was the more street level batman stuff and then batman was sort of the more um big picture weird stories and so detective always wound up being the one that would build up the character beats but here this is building up the character beats and doing the sort of massive world building stuff and being the fun one it's just it's doing it's it's everything i want from a batman comic Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, highly, highly recommended, folks. Pick it up. Um, that brings us to The Flash, number 16, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Carmine Di Giadomenico. And uh, this is the um, this is a really good rogues issue, guys. Yeah, um... I love I love how the Flash. The pacing of this book is so incredible. Like the, you see him rushing around and having to figure out what the, like what the master plan of the Rogues was all along. And I really love the the way that it shows him. You know. It shows the wheels turning. You know. Yeah. Uh, just really brilliantly written. I mean, this is. This is Williamson, like, completely understanding what makes a great issue from page one to page 20, you know, mm -hmm. and not wasting any time or space and, and just so satisfying. 
Yeah, I uh, I really liked this issue a lot. I think like artistically, this is some of the the best work he's d- he's done so far. Um, like he like he is just really settled into this book, and um, I thought the stuff with Heatwave and and Captain Cold in particular were it was like really great character work and. Yeah, I just, I, I like this book. I think this is probably my favorite arc so far. I think it's hard to not look at the spotlight on Cold and Heat Wave and not thinking that is CW related. <laughs> um, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's dumb to do that. I think it's very smart to have things in your comics that people can recognize from their TV sh- TV sets. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I particularly like the Captain Cold things. I thought that was great. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like every week or every two weeks we talk about this book and we never focus too much of our time on it because it's just so well done. There's not all that much to say. It, it You know, it's building a really, after a few years of The Flash being in the weeds as a comic series, it's just nice to have a, a series that is so focused on getting Barry right. But it's not doing huge stories it's just doing really good flash stories yeah and this particular rogue story hasn't done as much outside of the story itself if you think about those first like seven or eight or nine issues or whatever it was there was a lot of like rebuilding of the relationship with iris and wally and introducing all these new rogues or uh speedsters i mean and uh, sort of reintroducing all these elements of, of flash fiction that we haven't seen in a while. And this rogue story has pretty much been just a straight, straight up rogue story. You know, not mm-hmm. much, not much extraneous world building stuff going on. Nothing that really taps into the greater DCU. Um, and so there's, so there's not as much to talk about in that, in that way. But I, any everybody should be reading this book. Um, it's one of DC's best titles right now. So, absolutely, absolutely. Well, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, what number is this? Number fourteen. 14? Yeah. Okay. Uh, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval, and. Uh, this is sort of I, this is a very necessary issue as this sort of gives a good like brief description of sort of the world that this book is taking place in right now, how the Green Lantern Corps is organized and how they're going to be organized going forward. It, it firmly establishes John Stewart as uh, the the core commander, whatever the title they're giving him is, and um, it sends Harry Harry. Harry. <laughs> I, I was thinking Hal and Barry. It thinks it sends Hal and Kyle, which I think is very much actually a Hal and Barry like relationship, sends them on a mission to uh to find the Blue Lanterns. And I love me some Saint Walker, so I'm happy about that too. All will be well. Yes. Uh th- this is still not a great comic. But this was this is certainly more of what I want to see from this book. It's it's crumpulent. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah I I I've actually I I like this issue a lot. This uh this book is so up and down for me. But when it's when it's 
I think I think that this um, overall, like aside from the first arc, Venditti's Green Lantern work in in Rebirth has been much better than his his New Fifty Two Green Lantern. I agree with that. Yeah, I think um, his his New Fifty Two or like DCU Green Lantern stint really tried hard to get away from the stuff that Johns was doing. And it was a little too much, you know, it was too much too fast. And this is kind of, this is kind of reestablished sort of all the stuff that was great about John's run. And now they're going to move forward with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I was actually thinking about that too, Vince, how John's planted so many of these seeds years ago, but never really came back to them. And this might actually give give a chance to come back to some of those ideas. Yeah. And Rafa Sandoval's art is just awesome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we got just, just a tiny little bit of St. Walker. But a little bit goes a long way with that guy. Mm-hmm. Just the tip. <laughs> all right justice league mighty morphin power rangers number two <laughs> written by tom taylor illustrated by stephen byrne guys i've now read two power ranger center <laughs> comics in my life and 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 uh and and no thank you right <laughs> it doesn't i mean this is fine it's fine. Uh, I don't this... mean that in like a house on fire kind of way. I mean like literally this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is fine. Nice. This one leaned really hard into doing all the things that an average episode of Power Rangers did. Like I forgot that every episode there was a sequence where they all had to yell the name of their dinosaur and then and say power. Well, obviously, how else do you turn them on and get in them? I know. I'm such an idiot. I I should have known, but, but I <laughs> forgot. And when I saw that, I thought, like, wow, they're really embracing, like, like you got to understand, Brian, this wasted time in every single episode of the show, right? Of course it did, yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's amazing to see them embrace that and, like, waste a few pages on it here. Not that, the, not, I don't mean, like, waste as in, like, well, could have done without that. But I just, know what you mean embracing that that was a thing and 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 doing like the full version of it i think uh stephen burns artwork is still pretty incredible it is his superman looks a little bit different to me though from how i've seen him draw superman in the past yeah his superman here is a little i mean to be fair this might be the pre-flashpoint superman we never saw him draw that one before (laughs) He's a little like scrawny. I don't. I don't know what. I've seen Stephen Byrne draw Superman, and it's been great. And I think he looks just... like Dylan McDermott. <laughs> Look at that first picture. Like the first image of him when he has his arms crossed. Dermot and... McDillard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that... Dylan McDermott or Dermot Mulroney. Dylan McDermott, I think. That's an SNL sketch. I know it is, but I can't remember which one I mean now. So I, I think it's Dylan McDermott. So it oh, works. we're falling apart. We are falling apart. Um, but yeah, uh, 
He he looks like the one from my best friend's wedding. That would be Dermot Mulroney. God damn it! Okay. <laughs> I don't wait. Hold on. <laughs> See, it's impossible to know. Let me let me make sure. Let me make sure. That is Dermot Mulroney. <laughs> you you fell for the. I did. That shows you how great that sketch is. I Agreed. Mean... <laughs> Agreed. God. All right. Anyway, um, Google Power Rangers. I um, this certainly Go doesn't make me want to read more Power Rangers comics, but I, I didn't think it would. But it also hasn't made me wish this wasn't a Justice League Power Rangers book. You know, I think it's a fun crossover. I do like how scared of Batman they are. <laughs> At one point, somebody says, like, I still don't see how you're a good guy. And, uh, <laughs> I really like that line. That was that was fun. Yeah, that, that's a good way to describe this. It's very fun. Yeah. Inconsequential, but fun. Yeah. Most crossovers like this are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It would be funny if this is where all the Watchmen stuff came out. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Taylor actually crosses over Injustice into this. Yeah. It's you, find, you find out that when Dr. Manhattan said he was going to go create life somewhere, he literally created the... Uh, the Power Rangers. The idea of the sen- of Sentai Warriors in Japan. <laughs> All right, so they're, they're going to wear tight. It's just like him sitting on a couch smoking <laughs> a cigarette. And he's like, "All right, they're gonna wear tights. They're gonna they're gonna yell the names of their robots before they get into them. It'll uh, be great. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, anyway. This brings us to Vince's favorite book, New Superman number eight. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Written by uh, Gene Yang, illustrated by Billy Tan, and uh, we've been saying this. I I I'm." I am fully ready to admit I was wrong about this comic. This is another really, really good issue. I I was the most wrong. This book is the best. <laughs> I love this book. Yeah, it's getting really good. <laughs> Your horn wasn't loud enough. Yeah, put it closer it to the needs mic. needs to be louder. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this it's really good, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of it is that, um, well, like like you guys have said before, he uh, Keenan is less of a an asshole, but I think they're they're I think getting them away from that opening arc, which I think was a really good, like I enjoyed it a lot, but I think getting them away for a little while, splitting them up, giving them their own sort of little thing to do apart from one another. Almost like soul searching, especially on 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 Keenan's part, um, has been really rewarding. I mean, the whole scene with with um, his sensei, I guess if I can't think of a better word, um, explaining to him about those trigrams and how they make the octagon that yeah. that makes up the S on his chest. You know, it's that's that's so cool. Yeah, I love that stuff. <laughs> this is yeah. Oh. <laughs> This is a good comic. It is. It is absolutely a good comic. In fact, I might even say that uh, this might have been my second favorite issue of the week. Yeah? Third favorite, maybe? Um, Gosh, there were so many books this week. 
<laughs> there were. It might. It might be my. Gosh, I don't know. There were a lot of good books this week. I liked it less than Detective. It was definitely in my top three. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say Detective, JLA Rebirth, and then this. I would say Detective, The Flash, and then this. I would say Detective, this, then maybe Superwoman. Yeah, that was that was good too. That was good too. I think my top five would definitely include Superwoman and uh, The Flash as well. So yeah. I think I think we're all pretty similar. Yeah, it's amazing how how many good books DC is doing right now that we can have. And I definitely think that the each week has a minimum of like three or four books I would be very upset if I missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the last time that was ever a thing for me. Yeah, I'm probably uh, probably just right before Flashpoint, I would say. I still don't know if there were that many on a week-to-week basis. I was buying a lot back then and, and loving a lot of it. But it was a time in my life, too, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you want to go inside the actor's studio <laughs> with me, we can get into that. But <laughs> Vince, what is your favorite curse word? Um. Well, it's fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny. <laughs> it's 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 actually bastitch. Well, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. You, well, you're the main man. What can I say? Um. All right, that will um wrap up that issue for now. Let's get over to Red Hood and the Outlaws, number seven. Um, written by Scott Lobdell and illustrated by uh, not um, not Dexter Soy, which is a bit of a bummer, but uh, Miracle Clark did a really nice job with this issue as well. Uh, I really liked the first three quarters of this issue. And by really liked, I mean like as much as I can like a uh, Scott Lobdell comic. Like it was... The first three quarters of this issue were as good as anything else from this book so far. So so you didn't like the fact that what I thought was just a fun homage cover to Of Mice and Men actually took place in the actual issue? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was very weird. Yeah. I just feel like that's a reference that people make all the time. Like, I feel like Lobdell thought he was so clever making that reference, but literally everybody references Lenny being shot in the Mice and Men all the time. Yeah, but I, I loved it as a cover. And then as a cover, it's fantastic, yes. Agreed. Yeah, and then you read it, and it's like, oh, he's actually doing this yeah. scene. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's going to kill a sort of mentally retarded character <laughs> for, for no good reason. Can I just say that this is... The like most unlobdell Lobdell comic though. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing how many of his bad tending tendencies are just completely absent from it. It's it's almost as if um, DC was smart to only give him one book to focus on, and a character that he has a particularly strong handle on compared to any others. Right. 
instead of say hypothetically all literally all the youthful characters in the DCU. <laughs> yeah. Hypothetically. If that were to have happened. Hypothetically. Um I, I do like the version of Bizarro we're getting here. Yeah, I do too. I think um this like version of Bizarro speak is uh I think maybe my most palatable. Yeah. If not the most you know, it's not your traditional me am hate you or you know, whatever, me am love you. The everything's opposite, but it's it's still it's still recognizable as Bizarro speak and it's kinda of funny. You know, it's a little endearing that he calls them red him and red her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like just silly stuff like that. It's fine. I like it. Yeah. This is definitely the best Labdell comic I've ever read. Yeah. By yeah. a country mile. All right. Um, that brings us to Suicide Squad number 11 with uh, John Romita Jr. bringing his certain uh, blend of something to the comic. Oh, Guys, I kind of liked this. Oh. I don't know. I Sell me on it, man. Yeah. Well, okay, so first, I guess, let me say that... Let, let me qualify that. I like John Romita on this. Like, those first few pages, I really liked. Artistically. There were parts of it I really liked. I'll give you that. I really liked the part of um, where we see like I, that the whole the whole sequence before we get the full Suicide Squad. I like yes. that stuff. Yeah, me too. I like Rustum. I I like him as this kind of you know like uh, he he's just kind of like the. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, if, if Amanda Waller represents everything that is wrong with... If if Amanda Waller is Donald Trump, then Rustum is... Bernie Sanders? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was just throwing out the name. Uh, that works. <laughs> uh, yeah. I can't wait to hear uh, Rustum's version of this land is your land. <laughs> I would do an impression, but it would be um, inadvertently racist. So, <laughs> I'm just not gonna do that. Um, so, I, I I agree with the uh, I agree with that part of his act. But then you get the Suicide Squad, that first page of the Suicide Squad, and Captain Boomerang looks like he's 900 pounds and like has a weird like turtle head thing going on. Like, no, like his, I like him. He looks, face... He's got some. He's got some bulk to him. Everyone is both. A... Okay, and I also didn't like Star Lord Flag there. He's low key thick, <laughs> is what you're. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell you what I really hated? <laughs> what everything? Ah, don't get your marsupials in a twist, mate. What? Yeah. what you mean that's what? not how Australian people talk? <laughs> I don't know, but in like in like <laughs> what kidding. world is marsupials? No. Uh, uh, like a metaphor for your testicles, or like the, well you know, pouches and, and <laughs> sacks. Uh, 
See, you're you're. Uh, I gotta come. Here. I gotta come to you before I embarrass myself on the podcast <laughs> like that. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm just such a. I'm. I hate when these writers feel like they have to. Oh, I know an Australian word. I'm just gonna insert it here. And that, Williams is so much better than that. He is. Yeah. His his Martian Manhunter was so like nuanced. Di- nuanced and dialed in to exactly uh, Yeah, and this is just so haphazard and cliched and it falls back on the those like shitty dialogue moments time after time. And I can't get past it. I guess I did like some of the art here, but I just can't. I mean, once again, the issue starts out with somebody announcing, like, we got bullets in our brain, or we got bombs in our brains. Like, yeah, you do. You're the Suicide Squad. We all know this. <laughs> we I think this is known. Yeah, right. Like, I feel like if before every football game, the coach like, all right, guys, we wear helmets. Yeah! yeah like, yeah. of course you do. It's fucking football. I mean, it can get kind of oppressive being a bad guy, covertly working for the good guys, taking out the other bad guys because of the brain bombs, the good guys illegally and immorally planted in our brains. It's a little Uh, verbose. Yeah, and also, somebody has said that in literally every issue. Even like, even in the the, um, Justice League Suicide Squad event, I felt like half the issues had a character reminding everybody that they had bombs in their brains. Like, are we some kind of Suicide Squad? I also I I don't know if anybody was shipping Harley Quinn and Rick Flag. Oh, you know I was. Are. Second, I got this book. I'm like, okay, who can I ship? Because <laughs> oh. that's a thing that happens in both stories. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I really liked Romita's art in this more than I think I've liked him in a really long time. I think he's a surprisingly good fit for it. The writing is still about the same. Um, the uh, the backup was something. <laughs> I don't know. Eddie Barrows is good. Yeah. This is a good. To me, this was a good book artistically. Yeah. Yeah. I much, can... much more so than like the the first arc. Sure, I can I can get behind that sentiment. I don't, we, got I don't Eddie, we got Eddie Barrows in two comics this week. We did, yeah. yeah. I don't know whose idea it was to have Amanda Waller get drunk and go talk to uh like unconscious Sod. It was a really weird decision to make. Who looks like Judge Dredd yeah. for some reason. For some reason I was reminded of this, like the way she was talking to this person who can't talk back. It's like when Lisa Simpson uh, talks to the various monuments in Washington. <laughs> you know, uh, we love yeah. our Simpsons. Yeah, I remember Thomas Jefferson just being very lonely. <laughs> Don't go, I'm so lonely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I I I know that there's there's a subtler way to tell us that the characters are changing. For the better than saying than having characters literally saying, "What am I changing for the better here?" <laughs> but that's essentially what everyone says in this in the backup. 
Although I I do think if you read Captain Boomerang's dialogue from the bar scene in an Austin Powers voice, it's absolutely perfect. <laughs> well, would you? Um, okay, let me, let me see if I can channel my uh, my Austin Powers here. Austin, it is shit. <laughs> I can't. I, I'm I'm struggling here. But specifically, he says he lost his lost his nasty mojo, which I believe is exactly a line from Goldmember. <laughs> <laughs> What the hell is wrong with me, baby? I lost I've my lost one... mojo, baby. I got one night out of prison and I'm acting like a pom vicar. Yeah, it's just, it's it's not good. I did like how Harley Quinn was wearing the button on her hat. I Yeah, it was kind of the button. It's kind it's of the a, button. It's got its tongue sticking out, yeah. so it's not quite... Well, it, it, it's 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 an irreverent take on the button, which is you know the button, which the is uh, what Harley Quinn does. She's so irreverent. And and no what does her shirt say anything. here? Is it "I'm not her"? Honest. Yeah. yeah. Like like she's not. She's, she's not, not Harley Quinn. Yeah. Honest. Yeah, I, I think Rick Flag kind of looks like John Cena here. <laughs> I can't see him. Oh, well played. Well played. Um, so the issue does end with Amanda Waller getting a bullet in the chest. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Man, I can't believe they really killed Amanda Waller. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get a, a soundboard with more of these, so like, I've got like a. Yeah. Okay, that brings us to Supergirl number six, uh, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Brian Ching. Uh, this wraps up the um, the reign of the cyborg Superman story, and I thought this was a really really good issue. I thought it was, it did a nice job reminding the reader of Kara's humanity, how. I don't think there's many other characters in the DC universe that would have been as loyal to her evil father as Kara is. And I really like that. I like how the book is um, establishing its own world, but is definitely referencing the show in places. Cause I think that the show is such a crossover success that it would be silly not to do that. Uh, overall, I thought this was a really good issue. I, I really like Brian Ching's art and uh, yeah. What do you guys think? I agree. It's good. This, yeah. This, uh, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Vince. I was just gonna say uh, this is my favorite issue of Supergirl so far. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the way Steve Orlando wrapped it all up and still kind of left a little back door to returning to this particular um, uh, plot element, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just, just again, like making Kara out to be like the most altruistic person in the DCU um, has been really fun to watch. And this, this issue was a great example of that. Yeah. Um, now we saw 
twice this week we saw Hank Henshaw show up. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. And here we see him in the approximate vicinity with the Cyborg Superman. Is this is he going to merge with the Cyborg Superman? Therefore, sort of resetting the character to where it it has been in the past. That's interesting. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. That's the first thing I thought of actually, because they have the Cyborg Superman sort of in captivity now, and Hank Henshaw appears to be in there, um, like, you know, part of the DEO here, the way that he is on the show Supergirl, and I could see them kind of doing that, because, you know, one of the things that Rebirth has been has been doing is, you know, not throwing away the New 52 thing, so, you know, storylines and characters and that, but sort of giving it a, uh, giving it a, a both a modern retelling, or in some cases, bringing it back to where it was in a more creative way than perhaps they've done in the past. And I feel like that would be a way to do this. Where, like, Cyborg Superman, it's going to come out like his body is dying. And he's going to take over Henshaw's body for that purpose. Yeah. I could see that. All I right. think I would like that. Maybe. It can I be guess. done. I would it trust. Be done. I would trust Orlando to do it well. Uh, that brings us to Superwoman number seven, the finale of the first arc, which has gone on for, it feels like a very, very long time, but so much has happened in this arc. It's sort of crazy to think about how much happened in this arc. Um, but this issue was written by Phil Jimenez, and uh, he did the layouts, and it was finished by Matt Sort uh, Santarelli and Jack Herbert. Before we get to this, though, did you guys see that in the... I think we might have briefly touched on this, but I, I, I want to sort of follow up with something I, I I read or rather didn't read. Um, do you guys see that Phil Jimenez may be off the book as of issue 9? Yeah, mm-hmm. I did see that. So I had reached out to DC to comment on that because I was putting together my soliciting article, and I didn't want to say he was off the book if it was just a, uh, a break, you know? Because in that same month, we have Colin Bunn doing an issue of Trinity... And it seems like it would be a big deal if Francis Manipal was leaving that book. So I think it might just be that it's um, just while there it's like it's a two month crossover between all the super books. That is the fallout of the one month Superman crossover from March. So it's weird how the fallout lasts literally twice as long as the event itself. But mm-hmm. but so I think it might just be a situation of that. But I also tweeted at Phil Jimenez about this and he did not reply to me. So I'm hoping that the silence does not mean that he is off the book. Yeah. Well, Fallout does tend to last longer than than the oh, bomb itself. Boy, 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 so, boy. you know, you've got to take into account Half-Life and air pattern. Like, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into play. So we could we could be – this could go on for months, Brian. Maybe even years. Our children could be reading the <laughs> Superman Reborn Aftermath. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I appreciate how much you committed to that, Zach. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, this, is, this is a hell of a stuffed issue. We get a little bit of everything in this issue. We get um, a lot of Lex. We get a lot of Lana. A little bit of Lena, 
Uh, so, so it's like Mamba number five. <laughs> you know, I, uh... Wow. Yeah. My, my, my wife is uh, my wife is very proud of the fact that her name is one of them that uh, Lou Bega sings. Oh, okay. In, in that song. That's my wife's least favorite song in the history of music. Yeah. And maybe it's because Erin is not mentioned in the song, to my knowledge. Well, there you go. Have you heard, like, the... <laughs> he basically re-recorded the exact... Like, he, he tried to have another hit after that, and mm-hmm. it's the same song, only it's got completely different words. But no. the mu- music is all the same. What are the words? It's like, he can't like he can't think of a good premise for it, so it's like, so jump to your right and jump to your left. And it's just like, <laughs> there's no, like... Like at least Mambo Number Five has like the female name, like premise to it, you know. But he tried to follow it up with an incredibly generic dance song, which just had the exact same tune. It's really bad. Anyway, Lou Bega, this is real Lou Bega hours right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever think that we could go any more obscure or tangential <laughs> in our references, don't test us. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so this has a lot of – a little bit of Tracy, too. <laughs> throw that out there. Um, and, uh, yeah. And what's – what's um, Steel's and, and, and Natasha, a little bit of Natasha, too. Uh, but, no, th- this issue was, was really good. It really did a lot to bring all those disparate elements that we've seen in the book so far together – uh, but it also has a real sense of dread. It really does feel like this is the end of the line for Lana, even though I don't really believe that. The book has done a good job of making us think that. Yeah, and man, you know, you you mentioned that just like this has gone on for a while and so much has happened, and it it really is like this this issue packs in so much stuff, you know, it's, it's carrying stuff from, um, you know, from just rebirth Superman in general, from the, the last days of Superman, um, the John's justice league run. Gosh, I don't know. Probably like even some like Morrison action comic stuff. It's just, it's so, it's so heavy on, on, you know, on plot and, and callbacks, but it's also big on, on character. I, um, you know, it has such a large cast and, and they're all really interesting. Like this, this almost kind of feels like a team book yeah. in a way, you know, I just really like this book a lot. This book that I was thinking about this earlier today, because a friend of mine asked me recently, uh, what's a couple of rebirth books that they should get into? And they haven't been reading comics in a number of years. And this is, I did not recommend Superwoman because I just feel like there's, it's so dense that if you're not a regular comic reader who's kept up for the last few years, I don't know if this would make a lick of sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much kind of like in that vein of books that I, I feel like DC used to do more of that are, are very rewarding to heavy readers more mm-hmm. so than, than, you know, just a, a more casual reader. Vince, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this, this, this is a really good book, but it's 
good for entirely different reasons than something like the flash is good, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you guys think that, um, that Lana is going to be the superwoman of the title much longer? I don't even know what to think anymore. (laughs) I kind of like that. Yeah. It's like, who even knows if this book is like, what the future of this book looks like, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited. If Phil Jimenez is still on it, I'm excited to read whatever he wants to do with it. For sure. Yeah. If he's off of it though, I don't know how much my enthusiasm will wane. This, this is the book that feels most to me, like just on the premise alone that it should have been like a 12 issue stealth miniseries, you know? Yeah. Like that it could have been that from the start. Um, even though I think the idea of having a superwoman around is like endless fodder for stories. Um, just the premise of this specific series kind of felt like it had an end point somewhere. See, if that was the case, I wish that they kept Lois around a little bit longer then. Yeah, right. Because that would have been really – if if the book, you know, was – when it was originally pitched, it was just, oh, this is a Lois book. But then it turned out it was a Lois and Lana book. And if it was Lois and Lana book for a few issues, and then it became just a Lana book, that would have been, you know, interesting. Right. But overall, yeah, this is really, really good. Um, we're getting to the the home stretch here, folks. Just two more books to talk about. Uh, Titans, number eight, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Brett Booth. And uh, Vince, we got a question on Twitter about this. I think that's a good place to start our conversation. So why don't you uh, read the question from from Twitter about this? Yeah, sure. Uh, Let me see here. Okay. Just read the, this is Pope Flash the fourth. You know, we've got the young Pope on on HBO right now. This is the fast Pope. Um, uh, And he says, uh, just read the latest Titans and wondering, why can't Brett Booth draw natural looking hair? And I have to say, I mean, I've all, I've always kind of thought that, but just scrolling through this issue, it's amazing the sort of tendencies that he has. Like everybody's either got these, everybody's either got these like impossible sharp curls coming out of their head at like every angle or to make it easier on him, I suppose they're bald or cro- or like extremely close cropped. Like, <laughs> like Roy Harper has the close cropped hair, so you don't have to do much to it. And everybody else like has these weird, sharp, wavy curls. And but then Booth like purposely draws them like smoothed back, like when they're running or whatever. So mm-hmm. like. They're just getting smoothed back so he doesn't have to draw all these wispy curls all the time. And it just makes me wonder, like, what? (laughs) Why? (laughs) (laughs) I noticed something else about his art when I was reading this issue. All of his characters, their eyes, the pupils of their eyes are, are like, above the 50-yard line. Like, it looks like everybody is perpetually rolling their eyes. (laughs) You're right. Every single character is always looking like kind of up, 
and it, yeah. just, it just gives a really weird uh like you know visual thing when every character is no one's really looking at each other because they're all looking up the most egregious one is when wally is on his knockoff uh, ipad tablet talking to linda it looks like she's passing out like you can barely see her pupils at all <laughs> <laughs> like so bored like, oh god wally why are you it's just, it's, it's really distracting <laughs> but i also want to talk about how brett booth clearly has an obsession with pizza as like in every issue someone's eating pizza somewhere and here no one eats pizza but wally is on his bed a grown-ass man is on his bed with an open pizza box <laughs> brian what you you haven't been there? Oh, of course I've been there. I'm not a superhero. Come on. <laughs> if you were a superhero and you had a super metabolism, are you telling me that you wouldn't be eating fucking pizza all the time? Hey, look, today is International Pizza Day. Did I have pizza for dinner? I did. Yes, I uh, did. <laughs> was that? I did, too. Oh, look at that. Congratulations. Um, but, you know, it's it's just... Brett Booth. This is a, this is a shorthand of saying Brett Booth took a perfectly good script and turned it into a perfectly shit comic this week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed that um, Nick Bradshaw has started doing variant covers for this book, and they look like they would be a lot of fun? No, I gotta check this out. I I like him. I haven't seen that. I'll have to. I'll have to. Thanks for letting us know. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look back at that. Um. Yeah. So the original question is: is why can't he draw natural-looking hair? And I think, I think he just overextends himself. You know. Um. He's certainly from the more is more school of comic book art. Yeah. 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 It really reminds me of like when Joe Mad was drawing comics on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And he always had he always drew like the most detailed, like huge hair. <laughs> and then at a certain point it just became like really unwieldy. And I just feel like that's what's going on here a lot of the time. Like Oh, we gotta take some shortcuts, so we're gonna you know I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Um what did you guys think of the the storyline involving Harold and Bumblebee? Because I actually thought there was some interesting stuff there. I didn't. <laughs> I thought it was... I just feel like we've seen this kind of story a thousand times. Well, you know what it reminded me of? And I feel like this is a, an important touchstone for all of us. It reminded me of 52. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Sp- the, sp- the, the Natasha Irons yeah. stuff from that, mm-hmm. uh, which you know is is never a bad thing for for me, but I, I just feel like well, this Grant w- Morrison was in this issue of he was he was <laughs> he was the guy uh, MetaCorp or whatever it's called <laughs> Meta uh, Solutions Meta Solutions yeah a pretty lazy title there Abnet come on you can do better well, than that just yeah. wait because when. Uh, when Silicon Valley takes over the U.S. and like somebody from there is the, our next president, and we're all turned into human batteries, um, it will be Meta Solutions that does that to us. So that's probably true. I, I'll tell you what I did like about this issue. I like the little like moments between the Titans. Mm-hmm. 
like I I like uh, Dick and Wally talking about Linda. Um, I like uh, Donna and Roy having a moment here or there. Like th- those moments to me are what these youthful comics are all about. And then all this meta solution stuff uh, with Harold and Bumblebee, I you know I could care less about any of that. They they didn't make me care about it. Yeah, I think, I mean, Abnett showed us last month uh, that he can write really good, like, he writes these characters really well, but things happen. Booth happens. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Um, is there, uh, is there any chance... That this book doesn't get canceled before we get a Brett Booth off of it. Wait, you think it's gonna get canceled? I think I think it's more likely the book gets canceled than it is Brett Booth leaves it. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. I uh, did you see the thing? Uh, it, it was probably a bleeding cool post. I can't remember. But that it that there might be a, a Titans Teen Titans crossover coming up, or or some there was some kind of news about Titans and Teen Titans coming. Yeah, down one the line. one of the editors tweeted huge news about the two Titans or about the two Titans titles coming up or something. Like okay. That. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind that as long as Brett Booth wasn't drawing it. <laughs> <laughs> She'll yeah. see. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is Wonder Woman number 16, which uh written by Greg Rucka. And this is the first, this is essentially the story that is going to, is replacing the uh, Nicola Scott, the uh, year one story. And this has uh, Bill Quiss Evely. I hope I'm pronouncing that first name properly. Mm-hmm. That's how I would pronounce it. Yeah. Um, and this takes place um, kind of after what's what, what's the exact timeline here? You think? I think it said it was six months post uh, year one, like the right? year one art. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, I think the art was really great on it. Yeah. I think Evelyn is a really good artist who doesn't get enough due. Although one of the most popular answers in our multiversity year-end poll with creators of who's going to break out this year. Yes, yeah, I noticed that. For good reason. Absolutely. She, she's great. Um, yeah, what did you guys think of the new arc? I liked it quite a bit, I think. Um, the art was a clear highlight. Like The first time I read the issue, I, I read through it twice. I was just marveling at uh, some of the the art, the sort of artistic tricks she was pulling, and um, like I love the way that she drew the Chimera and um, the scenes at the end when uh, what's her name um, the the dark haired one. Uh, <laughs> what's her name Adriana is that it she gets into that like cyber 
cyber she helmet gets in thing. the cyber yeah she gets in the cyber with baron trump yeah and uh <laughs> and gets like she's getting like fried uh in the fight with uh wonder woman and the chimera mm-hmm. and like there's blood coming out of her nose like that to me the way that that Evelyn drew that was really like tension filled and and kind of um extreme in a really good way yeah like like the art did most of the work to make that emotionally affecting because that's what's going to like the fact that she got fried at the end is what's going to propel this arc going forward. And so much of that was the art doing the heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to me how well um, this kind of bridges from Scott's art. And maybe it's because the, the colorist it's still the same colorist, but it, um, I thought it was a pretty, like, uh, pretty easy transition. Yeah. And, yeah. I agree. I, yeah, think, I, I think it'll hold up very well next to, next to one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the facial feature choices, um, yeah, you put, uh, Nicholas Scott's art next to this, and it, it's it's pretty well smoothed, smoothed over from one to the other. I wonder if so. I know Rucka had spoken originally about how he was only signed on to do one year of this book, mm-hmm. but I wonder if Rucka is to continue, or even if he doesn't continue, if they're going to keep up with the with the two alternating storylines, because no other book has really done that. Yeah. And I think Wonder Woman is maybe the only major DC character for whom there is still enough mystery about her early years to make this work. Yeah, I agree. Well, boys, that brings us to the end of another episode. Yeah. A lot of books this week. Yeah, it was. It's always a lot of books, though. Too many books, too many books. <laughs> As always, I am Smarf. <laughs> um, yeah, what do we got next week? Let's see. Anything interesting? Batwoman Rebirth. Oh, yep. that's a big one. Oh, is next week Wildstorm? It is. Is and Super Sons. Oh my goodness! Next week is gonna be. Crazy. I'm gonna be hammering the air horn next week. <laughs> oh, what if all these books suck and we just give up? <laughs> then I'll have a, uh, I'll have either a slide whistle or, um, the sound when the mountain climber falls off at the end of The Price Is Right. <laughs> Man, and Trinity and Superman and Cave Carson. And Mother Panic. What is this week? <laughs> and Tom King Batman. What? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yes. It's going to be a good week. Yes, it is. It I is. It. Well, make sure to keep the questions and comments coming. We were loving all the Twitter and uh, Multiversity comments we've been getting on the on the podcast. Please keep them coming. We love to answer questions and uh, and talk comics. So, if you'd like to reach the three of us on Twitter, you can do so. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And uh, 
I, I, this is like two weeks in a row we've gone close to two hours with our conversations. <laughs> but um, next week looks so packed. Expect another long show, guys. So uh, <laughs> hopefully you have nice long commutes or something going on that you can uh, enjoy us. And you're not, you know, you're not lamenting the length of our podcast. But so <laughs> it's free. Get over it. Turn it off. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> good night. Good night. Good night.